Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. As many of us have heard and even experienced, it's been a challenging but rewarding couple of years for HR with many commenting that the HR agenda has never been stronger, never been more credible, and many are feeling that they finally have a seat at the table. But what good is a seat at the table without a voice at the table? Are you being heard in your organization? That's the question. So to talk about this topic today, we're delighted to be joined by Julio Sullivan, Head of People Development with Jigsaw Better Business, and a chartered organizational psychologist who aims to improve how people experience work through, tra- through training and coaching. So it's always, a, it's always a good intro when you kind of stumble at the end, Julie. How, how are you? Thanks for joining us. I'm good, thanks, Owen. Don't worry about that. Yeah, thank you very much for, for having me on. Brilliant stuff. And we're also joined by our very own Liam Barton, Senior HR Consultant here at Inside HR. How are you, Liam? Very well, Owen. Thank you. Brilliant stuff. So we'll, we'll jump right in. And Liam, I actually might come to yourself first. So I just kind of, I suppose we, if we can kind of reflect on the past couple of years first, as I said at the outset there, what's kind of the feeling on the ground, Liam? Are, are we sensing that kind of HR making bigger decisions, feeling bigger impact being made and all that kind of thing? Yeah, well, I mean, what what, what the past couple of years it's it, it's been known, um, and I don't think anyone any of us a few years ago could have possibly predicted what would have happened in the last two to three years. Um, I think there's a couple of things happening. On I think one of the things is it would appear from LinkedIn research that more and more, I suppose, HR chief HR officer roles uh, are being hired at I suppose C-suite level, um, and certainly that would back up what we're seeing on the ground in terms of what we're hearing from clients at Inside HR that, you know, I think the door is probably more open to HR at a higher level within the organization now on than it's ever been. And I think, interestingly, when we had our, our podcast with Peter Cheese of, of CIPD, um, you know, his, his take on it is that's the case. But it's also interesting, I suppose, with these opportunities come responsibility and accountability as well. So I think there's a real test for HR over the the coming years in terms of the pace of transformational change has never been as, as swift and the demands on HR have probably never been more. So I think there's a couple of things that HR will have to be agile and adaptable and aligned with the business needs very, very, very closely. Um, and I think HR will also have to be able to say no and say sometimes, you know, that's actually not not possible within the time frame that's that's uh, being outlined. So, yes, I think my sense is over the last couple of years, HR has never been more, I think, highly valued and thought of at very very senior levels within organisations. But that also creates a demand um, on the services and demand on the people within at, at very very senior levels within HR. Uh, to be accountable, responsible, and, and credible. And I think that brings its own stresses and strains. So I think HR leaders in organizations are really going to have to think 
in terms of what supports they actually need themselves. And I think traditionally in HR own, I'm not sure that's something we've been wonderful at, at doing. We're very often looking at what other departments need, other organ parts of the organization, the business, and what, what do we actually need ourselves to meet the, the demands from within the business. So I suppose, in short, uh, a long-winded answer to your question, yes, I think HR is more visible and, and more um, valued than ever before. There are more opportunities within organizations for, for HR to really have a, a high-level impact but that brings its own demands and its own challenges. 100%, and it's definitely a sense I can get to. We're actually speaking to, we're lucky enough to be speaking to a couple of number of chief people officers actually on this podcast over the, the coming weeks and definitely getting a sense from just our brief chats in, in preparation with them. But that's the sense they're getting to. Um, but we'll get more insights from them over the coming weeks, weeks, which will be fantastic. So I suppose kind of digging into it a little bit deeper, Julie, and talking about kind of the skills, the organizational psychology, all that kind of side of things. Um, so I know the art of influencing, Julie, is something that we hear a lot about, especially when it comes to being heard and being effective at the top table. Um, so is the art of influencing kind of a fine art or is it something that anyone can kind of learn? Yeah, I like that question. Uh, and I think I think like all forms of communication, some people may have natural strengths that they can play off, but the vast majority of us can do with developing skills around this um, and making them more effective. Uh, like Liam mentioned there, you know, in, in terms of, say, figuring out what we need and then communicating that and asking for that. Um, so I suppose if it comes to developing these skills, you know, one thing that we can do is look at people who do this really well, um, and that's within your own workplace and in the wider world. So like, say, for example, if we looked at these, uh, say, master negotiators and seeing what do they do that sets them apart from the average or the good negotiators. Um, and research has been done to investigate into this. And one of the things that they've found that might be a little bit surprising is that the best negotiators ask more questions and they ask a lot more questions and they also give fewer reasons for their argument. Um, so again, those two might be a little bit surprising. Um, but say, you know, if they're, if they're those, those expert negotiators, they might just give two or three reasons to convince someone of something, even if they have 10 reasons. Because if you give those 10 reasons, there's probably a higher number of weaker arguments in there and those can be picked apart uh, and, and weaken the argument overall. So, you know, if we're learning from people like that, we can practice asking more open questions for the people that you're trying to influence really listening carefully to the answers, maybe paraphrasing back to show that you're really understanding of someone. Um, and then also recognizing, I suppose, the different approaches or styles of influencing. Um, like for example, there's rationalizing, which is an approach where you're kind of giving the logical, rational reasons behind something, the, the facts, the data, you know, the expert views to build a convincing position. Um, whereas on the other hand, you might also sometimes use inspiring uh, as a technique where it's about, you know, appealing to the heart rather than the head, uh, using stories to, you know, appeal to people's hopes and dreams and sh emphasizing that shared purpose, you know, saying, oh, if we could figure this out, you know, imagine what an impact it could have on X. Um, so, you know, those are very different approaches. Another one then would be asserting. So really insisting your ideas are heard. Um, you know, for example, the policy requires that or, you know, I'm 100% certain that. Um, 
And you might rely there on the kind of rules or laws or policies or your formal position. Um, you know, so say, for example, if your head of sales is having conflict with one of their direct reports and, you know, they say they want to just let them go, um, you might insist that they follow the correct procedures to avoid unfair uh, legal problem, unfair dismissal, legal issues. Um, you know, so it's, there's kind of a time and place for, for all of these, like say that one with asserting, I would say use that with caution if you were trying to influence upwards. Um, but, you know, recognizing that everyone has a preference. So if your CEO is a bit of a dreamer and loves the kind of blue sky thinking, they probably won't appreciate if you come in with the facts and the figures, they want to hear you tell them a story and you can use those that data uh, to tell that story but it's you know recognizing the preference of your listener and then also recognizing that you probably have your own preference and recognizing when you need to flex that or maybe go outside of your natural preference definitely i suppose it kind of sounds like it's a bit of quality over quantity and a little bit of know your audience as well to put it very simply which is seems obvious now to say it but i suppose that's the that's the best advice when when it seems obvious um because i suppose at the end of the day julie a lot of it and this isn't just simplifying what you just said, it's more connected to it in a different way. I suppose at the end, at the end of the day, there's kind of, kind of an element of talking the talk, really, isn't there? I suppose mm-hmm. when you kind of speak the language of the C-suite, that goes a long way. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that, in a sense? Yeah, exactly. Like, like we just mentioned, there is that element of recognising who you're speaking to, recognising their preferences, and, and recognising that there may be differences within the team as well um, that you're communicating to if you're, if you're uh, trying to influence a group. Um, and, you know, if you, if you don't know their preferences, it could just be asking them casually on, on a one-to-one basis, you know, like, oh, I love seeing things laid out visually. How do you like information to be conveyed? You know, just trying to, to gather that sort of information. Um, and I think, you know, Liam touched on this at the start. If you're proposing something, you know, really ensuring that it aligns with the company's strategy and values. Um, so being sure that you can map on how does your plan contribute to the long-term success of the company. Um, I would think as well, you know, when, if, when it comes to maybe trying to influence or win over C-suite or senior leaders, you might have to do a little bit of preparation, um, especially if it's, you know, something you're not used to. Um, and I would think you can, you can prepare even three levels of success for your conversation. You know, the first level being, okay, what's the worst case scenario? What is the minimum that I will accept for success? Um, And how might you respond to that worst case scenario? Um, A second level then being, okay, what am I really trying to achieve here? You know, what's the the main purpose of the conversation or the activity? What are we really hoping to get done? And then the third level being, okay, if someone waved a magic wand and I could get everything that I wanted, everything I could possibly dream of, what would that look like? You know, so really becoming clear on that will probably help you know how to do that dance, that bit of back and forth, knowing where you can give ground and where you need to stand your ground. Um, and, and I suppose, you know, you mentioned their talk and the talk, I think as well as talking the talk, there is all the background work that needs to be done of the relationship building. You know, people are more inclined to listen to you and go with your idea if they know you and they trust you, they can see that you're flexible, that there's generosity or there's sort of reciprocity there. So, you know, not neglecting all of that, the long game, I suppose, you know, figuring out who are the the people that need to buy into your idea and how would you rate your current relationships with them? 
are there any actions you can take to start building up those relationships? Absolutely. And it's great to get that kind of, I suppose, that's kind of a sense of the outward things you can do, how to communicate, how to influence, which is which is fantastic. I suppose, Liam, then on the the inverse of that, which I know it's, it's not the opposite, it's, it's another thing that's connected to it, I suppose, when you're talking about things like, I suppose, being calm, being strategic, being resilient, Liam, obviously things can get a bit bit ropey for, for HR people as well. Things can get a bit stressful. And I suppose with many HR leaders, Liam, trying to make big decisions while also managing their own team, and their own stressors and that kind of stuff. It can be a challenge to always get things right, Liam, can't it? Is there, is there any thoughts on the kind of resilience piece there? I think it's a very important word uh, in the HR world is resilience, Owen. Um, and I think you, you articulate something that, you know, HR leaders within organizations aren't always popular. Um, you know, you won't always be believed. Um, sometimes your ideas or your beliefs will be challenged very openly. Um, and you have to be resilient to deal with that. And, you know, you're going to have setbacks. Um, you're going to have, you know, projects fail. That's going to happen. And you're going to have to deal with that. And you're also going to have to deal with very, very constructive and, and blunt and direct criticism. Um, and that takes resilience. Um, and I think something which, which Julie mentioned, which is absolutely right, is relationship building. So, you know, having allies within the organization, having really good working relationships help. Um, and you will also have very, very strategic and important relationships, um, possibly at board level. And then there'll be a change in the board. So, you know, you've just established your credibility. Um, you know, you've got your place at the table and then suddenly there's a new CEO or a new um, leadership team. So it's it's very, very important that people are resilient. And I think also that people are open to feedback within HR one. And that, you know, Peter said something interesting, I think on the last uh, podcast, which was that we're not parochial, you know, that we're actually open to what the business needs and aligned to what the business needs. And that when something happens, it's very easy to become defensive and protect our position. But when something happens, it can be an opportunity for us as HR people within the organization to actually learn from, okay, well, look, we tried something there. It didn't work. Why didn't it work? You know, was there something around the communication of the message to the workforce? Did we not give enough time? Um, did we not engage? Did we not reach out? It was interesting what, what Julie was saying. I think she's absolutely right in terms of the message. Different people will take the message in different ways. You'll have the dreamer, you'll have the very kind of data, I need the, the hard facts, give me the facts, Liam. Um, and you can you can give the facts in one way to one person and give the facts in a different way to, to another person when, in fact, you're doing a different method of communication. So I think resilience is incredibly important and it's important, I think, Owen, for people who go into HR to understand that it can be a difficult job. It can be a very lonely job. Um, and you're talking about the stressors. You know, you'll have large-scale, possibly restructuring, redundancy. You may have bullying, harassment, sexual harassment, investigations, um, downsizing, so on and so forth. And you have to have difficult conversations and difficult decisions. Um, and very often you won't be popular with your own team. And very often you won't be popular with, with the wider team. And it's being able to understand and accept that and 
have a positive body to, body language and demeanor when you're out in the business as well. And that's a tightrope and that's a difficult balancing act. Um, so I think, I, I think you're absolutely correct. Resilience is an incredibly important competency for all HR leaders. And going on our, our earlier conversation, you will never have more opportunity probably within the business, but you will probably never be more challenged in terms of your ideas and your beliefs and your philosophies and your plans. Yeah, definitely. 100%, that's definitely the sense we get. I suppose kind of linked to that, and I suppose nearly a nice segue on to, to my next question, Julie. Obviously, skills are obviously a huge factor when it comes to performing at the top level, Julie, because obviously if you don't have the skills, you're going to get found out at the top level very, very quickly. I think we all know that. But how important is mindset? Kind of linked to what Liam is saying, but just that whole mindset piece, how important is that? Yeah, no, definitely agree, agree with you there. And I suppose you're asking a psychologist if mindset is important. <laughs> My answer might not surprise you. Um, I think it's a crucial factor, uh, but it does. It, it plays a huge role in in how you behave. Um, you know, if and then if you're trying to change that behavior, it's really if you can change the viewing, you can change the doing. You know, if you haven't really addressed those underlying beliefs or your mindset, you're probably very likely to go back to whatever you were doing in the past. Like say we were talking about influencing earlier. You know, some people when they hear influencing, they think of it as sort of an underhanded, maybe duplicitous kind of thing. You know, for some people, it's a synonym of manipulation. Um, and if you believe that deep down and that's your mindset, whether it's, you know, consciously or subconsciously, then you're probably limiting your capacity to influence because most people don't want to be manipulative. So if you believe that about, about influencing, you know, you'll avoid those behaviors. You aren't going to develop those skills. Um, so there, there, I think it can be a really tricky one because, you know, our mind, our mindset is influenced by the stories that we tell ourselves and the stories that others tell us. Um, you know, our beliefs about ourselves could be very, very deeply rooted. They might have come from childhood or or something that our our first boss said to us, what you know, twenty years ago. Um, you know, so it's it can be something. There can be those those really deeply rooted uh, beliefs, or you know, on the other hand, kind of tying in with what Liam was saying, like you know, maybe you can see the value of the work you're doing or the contribution that you're making, but then you're getting really harsh messages back that maybe other people don't see the value of it. And that can then begin to influence your outlook and your, um, you know, your mindset. So kind of like what Liam was saying there, you know, being open to feedback is crucial, but the challenge is being open without completely giving your power away to other people who don't value you, you know, to be able to try and retain that level of inner confidence and acceptance of yourself and, you know, value on your work while also kind of creating a bit of separation from yourself and the work to an extent, you know, so if you're performing well in a role, that's, that's great. Doesn't mean that you're, you know, a perfect person, or if you're not performing well in your role, doesn't mean you're a bad person, just means you have some extra work to do. Um, so I think a, a big word to remember or bring into the vocabulary a bit more is the word yet. You know, so rather than I can't do that or I'm no good at it or I'm I'm not that type of person, you know, instead it's saying I'm not at the level I'd like to be at yet uh, because it just changes it to mean that with a bit more time and effort, I'll get there. Um, yeah, I would say that's kind of 
some some ideas there on on the mindset behind it. Yeah, one of the best things I ever heard early on in my career was I suppose the only difference, what was it again, the only difference between criticism and help is how you're interpreting the feedback. And sure, that's all down to mm. the mindset really, Julie, isn't it? Um, yeah. Which is it's kind of internal. So I suppose, Liam, it's kind of important to note, Liam, as well, that, and again, we're, we're trying to, I suppose, be as well-rounded with this conversation as possible and understand, I suppose, the challenges of HR people. So I suppose many HR leaders, Liam, will also be kind of setting examples for their teams, won't they? So it's important to be effective, strategic, with things like performance management and culture and that kind of way, Liam, isn't it? Obviously, a lot of the time you're setting examples here. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think, you know, it, it's, I, I suppose, going back to, you know, talking the talk and walking the walk and, and being a leader within the organization. And I think one point there, Owen, is coming back to something I've already said, I suppose, performance management, it's important to support your own HR team. And I think sometimes that gets forgotten about because very often within um HR, naturally enough, we're, we're outward focused in terms of the organization and the needs of different departments and people and people culture. But sometimes our own HR team gets a little bit forgotten about. Um, and it's important for us to be visible and for us to be credible within the organization. That's around our interaction, the, 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 the organization's interaction, not just with the HR leader, but the HR department as a whole. Um, so building competency, building credibility, um, building the resources within the HR team is incredibly important. And I think sometimes HR leaders tend to forget about their, I won't say forget about their own team, but they're so focused on the org, the wider organization that I think sometimes the growth and development and succession planning within HR departments sometimes takes a back seat. Um, and I think that's something that, that HR leaders maybe should focus a little bit more on um, because the HR department is only as, as, as strong as every individual member of the team. Um, and I think culture is incredibly important. And how are you supporting the culture? And, you know, is what is the culture? And, you know, what do people perceive the culture to be? And what is our role in influencing the culture? And I think, again, sometimes we might have a view about what, what our culture is within an organization. And that might be actually different to what some of the people on the, you know, the shop floor or the ground floor, or the, the factory floor actually think, think it is. Um, so I think trying to influence and support the, the culture and not forgetting about our own team is very, very important. And that would have been something I would have come across quite a bit in my career is that sometimes individuals within HR departments don't feel as supported from the leader as, as they should be. And I think it's something I watch point possibly for, for HR leaders within industry on. 100%. And I suppose it's one of those ones where you, uh, you have to be conscious of how, how your reputation is when you're, or what people say when you're not in the room as much as what you're Absolutely. saying when you're in the room as well, yeah. isn't it? For um, sure. It's fantastic. We're, we're trying to add a lot of little quotes like that, so I hope you're, you're all taking notes as we go through this. <laughs> um, so look, Julie, I suppose it's kind of final question, but it's one we probably would spend a little bit of time on. Um, one thing that I, I think a lot of people struggle with across all roles, not just, I suppose, HR leaders, but I think a lot of roles, is imposter syndrome, something I'm sure you've heard a lot about, we've heard a lot about. Um, I think I saw in a Silicon Republic survey last year, 45% of female respondents reported that they have felt like an imposter at some point during their career. And not too far off then, more than one third, I think it was 37% of men said they felt the same. Um, so can we talk a little bit about that to kind of round off the conversation? What is it? How can we overcome it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think, yeah, like you mentioned, 
I think a lot more people are becoming familiar with it. They've heard of it. Um, it's that belief that you're a fraud, you know, and that it's only a matter of time before you're found out. Um, that feeling like you're way out of your depth. You're not competent or knowledgeable enough to be in the position that you're in. Um, that you don't have the right to be where you are or to be doing what you're doing. Um, and I, I like that you mentioned those figures because... Well, one, it demonstrates that it is a significant issue. It is very common. And I've seen other research that would suggest, you know, even higher percentages than that. Um, but also highlighting that both men and women experience it, because I think it's sometimes discussed more so as an issue for women. Um, and like you say, there may be a, it's it maybe slightly more prevalent, but it can absolutely happen to anyone. Um, it's really common when you are starting at a new company or a new role or getting a promotion, um, you know, when you move up in, in your career, you get more responsibility or more visibility, um, you know, and so then you start to think, okay, the spotlight is really on me. And when you're experiencing that, that feeling like an imposter, it's, it's typically linked to feelings of stress, anxiety, lack of confidence. Um, it can lead to us overworking because we're trying to compensate for what we feel we don't know. So that might mean then that other areas of our life can suffer, like family life, your overall health and well-being. You know, we talked about resilience earlier. If you're, you know, spending all of your time at work, then the other aspects that allow you to restore your energy, like sleep and socializing and exercising, those will all suffer as well. Um, it can lead as well to, you know, us playing small. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves. Um, we don't want to let you know, signal to anyone that there's this perceived gap in our knowledge. Um, so we probably shrink away from opportunities or challenges and then that can negatively impact our performance. So it can kind of exacerbate the problem. Um, you know, it can hinder our learning as well because we're not going to ask questions because we don't want to show to others that we don't know something. Um, so absolutely, it, it can have really damaging effects. Um, I do think it's positive that we are hearing more about it because that will help people realize that a lot of people experience this at, at one point or another. Um, that's a really beneficial first step when you're experiencing it is to recognize, okay, this isn't completely normal. Um, I, I kind of think of it as, you know, I suppose, again, if we're to look at it from a slightly more positive light, it's a sign that you are challenging yourself. Um, you know, because if you always stay where you're completely competent and comfortable, you're not really growing or progressing. Um, so I think a big part of overcoming it is embracing that bit of discomfort, reminding yourself that if you were comfortable, you wouldn't be progressing. Um, and again, it may be useful to reframe it a little bit and changing it from imposter syndrome to maybe having imposter moments. Um, you know, so imposter syndrome is really thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. It's only a matter of time before everyone figures that out. Whereas, you know, we can flip that to, I don't know what I'm doing, but it's a matter of time before I can figure it out. Um, and actually the founder of Spanx, uh, Sarah Blakely, is a really good example of this. You know, she didn't know how to run a business, didn't know how to prototype a new product, didn't know how, uh, you know, how to patent a product. You know, there were so many gaps in her knowledge. Um, that she could have said, okay, I lack too much confidence um, that could have prevented her from starting her company, but she had confidence in her ability to learn. So now it's a, you know, multi-million dollar company. Um, so I think having that confidence in your ability to learn will mean that you'll 
rise to challenges. It'll kind of remind you that you're constantly learning and developing. Um, I think that sometimes people think that you need to have confidence in order to pursue challenges and achieve challenging goals. But I think that's kind of the wrong way around. You know, you build confidence by doing the challenging things. So um, if it feels uncomfortable, you know, doing it and learning from it um, will build your own confidence so that next time the scary thing comes along, you feel feel better equipped to to handle it. 100% and you're, you're dead right. It's, it's good that we are hearing more about it and mm-hmm. to hear leaders like they're like one of the, the biggest fashion brands in the world at the moment coming out mm-hmm. and saying something like that. It's great to, to get it out there. Um, and it's great, I suppose, thank you both for a, a very insightful discussion to talk about the kind of ins and outs, the, the internal, the external, about um, getting a voice at the I really do appreciate that. Um, good news for our listeners, if you did enjoy that, we do have a webinar at the end of February where Julia will be joining us again for the Secret to HR Strategy, which is quite similar, not too far off this. Um, so do make sure to keep an eye out for that. Um, so thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next some of our podcasts. So don't forget to click subscribe join the discussion on our social media channels we really hope you found that useful so we'd love to talk to you more about it get your feedback and all that kind of all that kind of good stuff and as always for hr consultancy services and management you can trust get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie thank you julie and thank you liam thanks Thanks, Owen. thanks liam thanks for joining us today on the hr room podcast the podcast series from inside hr that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.